Hello, ladies and germs. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to the brand new Tribe of Mentors podcast. For those who have no background on me, I'm an author, early stage investor in 50 plus companies like Facebook, Twitter, Uber, Alibaba, and many others, and the host of The Tim Ferriss Show, which is a long form podcast with more than 200 million downloads. Tribe of Mentors, this new gig, is an experimental podcast similar in flavor to The Tim Ferriss Show, but much shorter much more distilled. This is season one planned for 10 to 15 episodes. And instead of my usual two to four hour interviews, Tribe of Mentors packs a punch, or so it's intended, in say 10 to 30 minutes on average and delivers tools, habits, and lessons learned from world-class performers in every field you can imagine. So you can think of this as a caffeine jolt of not just inspiration, but also tactical advice that you can use. The Tribe of Mentors podcast is largely adapted from my new book of the same name, Tribe of Mentors, subtitled Short Life Advice from the Best in the World, which details the routines, habits, tools of more than 130 people who are the best at what they do, including elite athletes like Kelly Slater and Dara Torres, legendary coaches like Dan Gable, at least a dozen billionaires and iconic investors, co-founders of companies like Facebook, Twitter, Dropbox, Craigslist, and others, poker and cryptocurrency, phenoms, and many geniuses you've never, ever heard of. In some cases, those are my favorites. And you can learn all about Tribe of Mentors at tribeofmentors.com. That's the book. Or find it wherever books are sold. But let's get into the audio interview. Today's guest is Liv Burry, or Bori, depending on who you ask, B-O-E-R-E-E. You can say hello on Twitter and Instagram, at live underscore Burry, B-O-E-R-E-E. Website is reg-charity.org. Liv is a poker player, TV presenter, and writer, is a European poker tour and world series of poker champion with more than 3.5 million in tournament winnings. She is one of the best-known faces on the international poker circuit and has been nicknamed the Iron Maiden. Liv is a member of Team Poker Stars Pro and is a four-time winner of European Female Player of the Year. Her biggest passion, however, is science and she holds a first-class honors degree in physics with astrophysics from the University of Manchester. Liv is a strong supporter of the effective altruism movement, the philosophy of using evidence and rational decision-making to achieve the most good. In 2014, she co-founded Raising for Effective Giving, a fundraising organization that raises money for the world's most cost-effective and globally impactful charities. Liv, what is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? Or what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? So the first book for me uh, that I would say I've given the most as a gift is The Passion Trap, uh, How to Write an Unbalanced Relationship, which was written by relationship therapist and psychologist Dean C. Dellis. This book was given to me by a friend when I was on the tail end of a very difficult relationship, and it was absolutely illuminating. The author examines the psychological forces behind human attraction and explains the most common drivers of conflict in intimate relationships. A key takeaway is that it's rarely any given partner who's to blame for, blame for a poor relationship. It's more often the unbalanced dynamics between the two of them that are to blame. The book offers numerous tactics of how to overcome these imbalances, and I'd recommend it to anyone, whether you're single or about to break up or even in a completely happy relationship. Another two books that have greatly influenced my life are Map and Territory and How to Actually Change Your Mind by Eliezer Yudkowsky. 
These two books are hands down the, the best insight and, and most comprehensive descriptions of modern day rational thinking that I've ever read. And they're written by, at least in my opinion, one of the greatest minds of our time. Yudkowsky manages to explain highly complex philosophical and scientific concepts to the reader in a remarkably entertaining and palatable way. And I came away feeling like I'd finally found the tools of which to actually understand both myself and the world around me. These two books are parts one and two of a six-part collection called Rationality from AI to Zombies, sourced from Yudkowsky's blog posts from the site Less Wrong over the last decade. What purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months or in recent memory? So for me, uh, I'd say it was an app called Blinkist, um, which hires, as far as I understand, they they hire uh, PhD students to read through popular nonfiction books and then pick out all the most important and salient points and condense it into a 15-minute read or audio book. And I found it's just a really great way of learning a lot of stuff in a short, you know, very efficient space of time. Um, and, yeah, and, and what I'll do is, you know, I can read up to sort of 20 books a day because of this and then highlight the ones that I think actually seem really good and then go and buy the full book and, and then get stuck into the, fu- to the full thing. Uh, so I'd really, really recommend that. What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? For me, it's learning about modern day rationality. I found it's added value in all domains of my life. Uh, so playing poker, it's all about making optimal decisions. And I obviously then learned the hard way how costly uh, my irrational screw-ups could be. This gave me extra motivation to truly identify my inherent mental flaws. And rationality and poker teach you how to think more quantitatively, how to make better predictions and evaluate your beliefs more effectively so that you can better achieve your goals. It also teaches you how to better control and work with your emotions. And I found it's just made a, a huge improvement on my general happiness. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? So I think if I had a billboard, it would read, the actual consequences of your actions matter far more than the actions themselves. So one of my biggest duh moments was when a philosopher, a philosopher friend explained to me the difference between deontological and consequentialist thinking. A deontologist believes that that for something to be ethically correct, it must abide by a predefined set of moral rules or ideologies. And if an action breaks those rules, then it is immoral, regardless of the outcome. Whereas a consequentialist believes that the moral value of an action purely depends on its outcome. The act itself doesn't carry moral weight. All that actually matters is whether its consequences are good or bad overall. So say, for example, there's an axe murderer who's about to kill a number of victims unless you kill the murderer first. A strict deontologist would say killing a person is always wrong, regardless of why it's done, because that's a moral rule. A consequentialist, however, would say killing a person is wrong because the outcome usually causes suffering. However, it might be okay to do so if it clearly prevents greater suffering. And I think most of us can easily identify with the second mindset in that situation because we're all familiar with the idea of the greater good. And thus it's easy to appreciate the value in thinking consequentially. And moral heuristics, which is another word for rules of thumb, definitely have clear societal benefits, especially in uh, pre-scientific times where superstitions and evidenceless beliefs ruled the roost and education was generally very poor. However, in this age of more readily available scientific data, we're now able to evaluate the consequences of our actions more accurately than ever before. Therefore, we should be more open to re-evaluating many of the 
hard ideological rules of thumb that we've lived by up until now. What is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? Um, so this is kind of a weird one for me, but I find that I, instead of shaving my legs, if I have time, I'd actually rather sit and pluck the hairs one by one because for whatever reason, this is very good at getting me into a meditative state. And I, I tend to struggle with meditation usually in terms of just sitting in silence. Whereas if I have a very monotonous, sort of boring, but easy task to do, uh, that's a great way of doing meditation. So yeah, that's, that's my one. <laughs> Live in the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to? So I used to be an enormous social butterfly and my preferred gatherings were generally huge parties, uh, anything where I could get to meet as many new people as possible. And if, for example, there was a dinner being organized, I'd want to invite everyone I knew who was around, partly because I hated the idea of anyone I knew being left out or any of my friends not getting to know one another, but also because I definitely enjoyed being the center of attention a little bit too much. These days, though, I try to say no to most big group dinners because I found it's much the situations are much more preferable where where only one conversation happens at a time and any more than five or six people and the discussion tends to fragment and lose flow. I've also found my focus has shifted to quality over quantity. I value more time with a few people as opposed to less time with more. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior or habit has most improved your life? So habit I've started doing, I I like to call it numbering your fuzz, which is basically whenever I have to make a prediction about something uncertain, you know, like, am I going to make this flight or will Bitcoin continue going up at its current rate uh, or something like that? I instead of just sort of using fuzzy words like maybe or sometimes or occasionally, I now try to assign a numerical percentage to those words. Uh, so for example, you know, I, I try to picture exactly what I mean by those words by, as, as a number between zero and a hundred. So obviously if I say always, then that means a hundred percent. And if I say never, then that means zero. But like, perhaps when I say probably, I mean that to be between 50 and 70%. And even though it feels kind of vague, just sort of throwing out a number like that, I've actually found the outcomes of my decisions have improved significantly since I started doing that habit because it's something you have to do in poker. If you know, I'm th- sitting there facing a big bet, I have to decide, oh, are they bluffing? You know, how, how confident am I in that they're bluffing? If I just sort of go, eh, kinda, that's not giving me any information. Whereas if I learn to sort of put it between 60 and 70%, well, now I have a useful number that I can sort of update my uh, decision-making process with. And... Yeah, and and it's important because the physical reality we live in is governed by mathematics, so it makes sense to train our minds to think in line with with mathematics and reality as much as possible. What are bad recommendations that you hear in your profession or area of expertise? So in poker, the most common error people make is overestimating their ability to read people. You know, the classic bad bad advice usually involves statements like, watch out for their eye movements – um, which is bad because humans are generally actually very aware of their eyes when they're lying or, oh, his finger twitched and he looks nervous, so he must be bluffing. Um, and that's because that's bad because nervousness and excitement actually appear very similar uh, in terms of physical behaviors. And in general, physical tales are just far less consistent and reliable than we're taught to believe. And so to truly excel at the game, it's far more important to have a solid understanding of the mathematical theory and, and logic behind the game. When you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, what do you do? What questions do you ask yourself? 
So for me, I find it's essential to identify the root cause of that lost focus. Am I just having a bad day or is it the task itself that I simply hate doing? If it's clearly the former and time pressures allow, well, I'm a big fan of just packing it in and doing something more fun until my focus comes back, even if it's not until the next day or even the next week. If it's the latter, though, well, now it's probably relevant to investigate why I'm feeling so unmotivated. Given that I know the upsides of getting this this task done, feeling so icky about it might mean that there's something more going on than I'd actually considered. It then helps to list those reasons to see if I can find a new way of getting the task done, perhaps avoiding the, the crappy parts that I don't enjoy entirely. And if that's not possible, well, I can now at least do a more effective cost-benefit analysis and decide whether to continue with the task at all. If I decide that the payoff is still worth it, then the motivation will be more likely to come back by itself. Hey guys, Tim Ferriss again. If you enjoyed this, just a little taste of this guest, then you will love Tribe of Mentors, the book. Subtitle, Short Life Advice from the Best in the World, which details the routines, habits, and tools of more than 130 people who are the best at what they do. And you can pick and choose. It is a choose-your-own-adventure buffet, but you have just about everyone imaginable. And you can find free chapters, the full list of mentors at tribeofmentors.com and wherever books are sold. So take a look, tribeofmentors.com. Thank you.